All right, we are back. We'd like to go on record as saying we don't believe that NASA has discovered a rat on Mars. We have to admit the photo taken on September 28, 2012 does depict something that looks like a guinea pig. In fact, it looks a lot like a guinea pig. We're going to state for the record, without any further investigation, we're sure that it's not. But apparently the Mars rat has gone viral, jumping from the pages of UFO sightings daily to more mainstream publications. Frankly, we do not endorse your reading of UFO sightings daily. We suspect they play fast and loose with the facts. It is a well-known fact that the human brain tends to perceive animals or familiar shapes in vague or random images. This phenomenon has shown up over the years with such things as the face on Mars and that billboard some years back where people swore they could see the face of Jesus in a plate of spaghetti and meatballs. And although we we don't want to belabor this story, we just have to ask on this program, how can it be that you can find women chained up in a man's house and have DNA tests prove that he is the father of one of the women held against their will for years, that we're not seeing a prosecution go forward. How much evidence do you need to prosecute this guy? Yeah, you you hold three women against their will for years, chained and roped inside your house, and, and, and they can't they can't they can't get this guy in court to prosecute? Think that might show there's something wrong with our legal system? Mr. Millen points out that nobody's saying they can't prosecute him. Well that's fine. What well, well, What's the holdup? Guy's obviously guilty of kidnapping, rape, and apparently murder, since his captives have talked about another woman that disappeared. I just don't understand why there's a delay. Could it be that our courts are all jammed up with crap? Opinion column by Dan Walters in the B notes that the tort wars are heating up in our capital. A legal term that, re- that refers to a civil wrong is therefore the basis of... Uh, America's army of lawyers milking the system for all it's worth. Of course, before I get too carried away, I should point out that that opinion, like all the rest you're going to hear in this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But uh, back to Mr. Walters. He notes that our legislature sets the rules under which injuries are litigated. That's why one of the capital's perennial conflicts is called tort wars, pitting those who want to expand the ability to sue for damages especially contingency fee lawyers, against those who defend such cases, particularly businesses and insurers. Walters notes that no legislative session occurs without some skirmishes, but this year is particularly active. Lawyers, unions, and other groups that want to expand litigation help Democrats swell their legislative majorities and believe the moment is ripe to move long-stalled agendas. Examples? Assembly Bill 715, sponsored by the Consumer Attorneys of California, would give appellate courts broader authority to review, quote, summary judgment dismissals of lawsuits by trial judges, thus weakening a legal tool often used by defendants. I'm not a lawyer, but I know this much. When you have a really crappy case, you can sometimes just ask the court for a summary judgment saying, look, it's pretty clear this is a load of baloney. Can you just dismiss this now? Well, naturally, consumer attorneys for California don't want to see these cases go away all too easily. After all, we live in a nation where, and and I've heard lawyer friends of mine say this to me, they believe that anybody should be able to sue for anything, anytime. 
other nations do not necessarily share this viewpoint, so, which is why sometimes when you go to other nations, you may see, for example, a sports area with kids actually playing on it, unlike here in America where playgrounds are shuttered and off-limits because somebody might sue if somebody got hurt while using some of the equipment. Moving right along, we want to, again, thank the Sacramento Bee for its great investigative pieces. They've got one... Uh, from Monday of this week, asking the question, who's getting state tax breaks? Turns out the answer is, well, casinos and strip clubs are among businesses that are claiming hiring aid. Refer you to an article by Richard Chang in The Bee, noting that uh, a rare glimpse into an embattled California tax credit program shows that Fortune 500 companies and at least one casino are its biggest beneficiaries in Sacramento County. Yes, apparently the State Enterprise Zone program offers businesses up to $37,000 in tax credits per employee as an incentive to hire workers in economically depressed areas. Apparently businesses under advice of attorneys don't want to say who's using this tax credit, but uh, a Sacramento Joint Powers Agency and the town of West Sac apparently last week provided some data showing which companies were claiming these vouchers in their area. It turns out an assortment of fast food restaurants, manufacturers, and retailers are on the list. So are two strip clubs in Rancho Cordova, which have claimed a combined 24 vouchers dating back to 2010, which caused at least one legislator, State Senator Lois Wolk, Democrat of Davis, to say that's just an inappropriate use of money. Of course, we have to note sadly here at Radio Parallax, it appears that any curtailment of this program may result in us being unable to hire the strippers we were trying to get on board to assist the production of this show. Aww. Quoted a few weeks back from an editorial in the B titled, Merchants of Death Should Be Reined In. The B editorial board talked about a vote at the UN, which apparently was an effort to kind of rein in the international uh, trade on um, arms, at least somewhat. The piece noted that three major arms sellers, China, India, and Russia, abstained from voting. The U.S., which is by far the world's biggest arms exporter, voted in favor. And predictably, the National Rifle Association got on board and saying they were adamantly opposed to any restrictions on world arms trade. Which I think, dear listener, explains to some degree who might be funding the NRA. They're an incredibly effective lobbying group, and that costs dough. I mean, it's true, you can buy politicians wholesale in third world countries for cheap, but here in America, they tend to be a bit more expensive. And speaking of merchants of death, apparently Adnan Khashoggi has fallen upon hard times, asked the magazine. Remember Adnan Khashoggi, who amassed a fortune in the 1970s and 1980s, brokering arms sales to his fellow Saudis? He was never quite the world's richest man, but he may have been its biggest spender, splashing out $250,000 a day to maintain his lifestyle. Well, apparently Khashoggi's fortunes declined in the late 1980s thanks to overspending on festivities, ill-advised investments, and getting entwined in scandals, including the collapse of the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, the BCCI, and the fall of Ferdinand Marcos, who was one of his big supporters. Also, the Iran-Contra affair, though he himself was never convicted of criminal wrongdoing, Khashoggi now claims to be broke. This has not stopped a tenacious creditor and its lawyers from hounding him for an 11-year-old debt of $21 million to a securities clearing firm. 
In a move that the magazine notes would break new legal ground if successful, they're trying to get the American judgment against Mr. Khashoggi enforced in his native Saudi Arabia. We'll have to see how that goes down. Of course, the Saudis have been one of our most valiant allies, the country which produced Osama bin Laden and 15 of the 19 9-11 attackers. But we're not going to go into that today. One note piece by Joby Warwick in the Washington Post repeated in the Sacramento Bee last Sunday about what's going on in uh, Syria, noting that Russian and Iranian hardware is helping Syrian troops. The article does not appear to be about how the U.S. and others are helping the insurgents with arms, something the press has been reporting on from time to time but not saying a lot about. And in a not-related-but-parallel story, we noted last April that, um, well, the CIA admitted that it had been given millions of dollars to Hamid Karzai, president of Afghanistan, in an effort to buy influence with the president. In fact, the New York Times reported that Karzai acknowledged the CIA had been dropping off bags of cash at his office for a decade, saying the money was used for, quote, various purposes, unquote, and expressing gratitude to the United States for making the payments. That's us, the taxpayers. Mr. Karzai, I actually don't think you're welcome. Karzai himself described the amounts delivered by the CIA as a small amount. Other reports in the Times referred to the amount as being in the millions, in the millions, which doesn't seem small to us. Sadly, the Times also noted that there's little, little evidence that these payments bought the influence that the CIA sought. Instead, some U.S. officials said the cash has fueled corruption and empowered warlords undermining Washington's exit strategy from Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, President Obama has an exit strategy. He got elected in November of 2008, and his exit strategy is to get us out of Afghanistan by the end of 2014. You know, we probably need to read that book by Mark Mazzetti, The Way of the Knife, The CIA, A Secret Army, and A War at the Ends of the Earth. We mentioned it in last week's program. It was talked about in The New Yorker. But the review... In the Chronicle, had a few details that were sort of intriguing. Apparently on the Pentagon payroll is a psychologist who's advocated turning Muslim teens away from extremism through pro-U.S. video games. Hmm, you think that'll work? And speaking of harebrained efforts at foreign policy, goofball California Congressman Dana Rohrbacher from Huntington Beach is currently over in Russia. He's over there with actor Steven Seagal, and apparently commemorating that terrible 2004 school massacre that left more than 380 dead. Apparently Steven Seagal and Dana Rohrbacher are both trying to point out that, um, well, perhaps Russia and America both have sort of a common enemy in some of these brutal Islamic jihadists. In truth, it's kind of hard to argue with that premise. But there's a quote from the piece in the Washington Post by Will England that surprised me because it, it is surprising when I find myself agreeing with Representative Dana Rohrbacher. The article notes that Republicans have not always been so well-inclined toward Russia. In fact, last year, Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney called Russia America's number one geopolitical adversary. Said Rohrbacher last Sunday, that was an absurd statement. And indeed it was. And thankfully, Mitt Romney is not now directing U.S. foreign policy. Of course, the question is, is anyone? (laughs) And an address to the graduates at Princeton, one of America's Ivy League colleges that produced the people that, to no small degree, direct the 
course, taken by the ship of state. Speaking of running the country, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke addressed the graduates of Princeton last week and pretty much played the whole thing off for laughs, saying, among other things, economics is a highly sophisticated field of thought that is superb at explaining to policymakers precisely why the choices they made in the past were wrong. About the future? Not so much. And apparently Bernanke yucked it up at Princeton by uh, joking about the financial strain of sending children off to Princeton, saying that as someone who had sent three children to the Ivy League school once told him, financially it was like buying a new Cadillac every year and then driving it off a cliff. Radio Parallax would like to note that after seeing the efforts of our Ivy League elite to direct the course of this country, the comparison to driving a Cadillac off a cliff is more apt than we would like. And let's close this segment with a bit of a barn burner piece of investigative journalism again by our friends over at the Sacramento Bee. Well, not literally our friends personally, but friends of all of us who want to be kept apprised of what's going on out there. Piece by Margie Lundstrom and Sam Stanton about a woman named Carissa Carpenter's 16-year quest, allegedly to build a movie studio somewhere in rural Northern California. Most recently, apparently, Dixon. Dear listener, I just can't recommend this piece to you strongly enough. To quote from the article, For 16 years, Carissa Carpenter has peddled her glitzy dream of building a massive movie studio in the rural reaches of Northern California hopscotching from town to town in search of the ideal location. She vowed to build a slice of Hollywood in El Dorado Hills, on farmland in Sutter County, and at the shuttered Navy base at Mare Island. None materialized. Now, the self-described entertainment executive says she's tantalizingly close to having her company, Morningview LLC, bring a $2.8 billion project to the town of Dixon, population 18,000. The article notes this studio would be one of the largest development projects in Northern California history, more than six times the price tag of the proposed downtown arena to be built for the Sacramento Kings. Apparently she's convinced people like Dixon City Manager Jim Lindley, who said, I've done as much due diligence as possible, and all I can tell you is this will be a huge coup for the city. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose it would be if it ever developed, huh? The piece goes on, but the B examination of numerous public records chronicling her financial difficulties raises questions about Carpenter's ability to deliver that dream. Apparently, while she's been pitching her studio plans to various communities, she's leaving behind a 20-year trial of lawsuits, liens, and civil judgments. Court records show that Carpenter's been slapped with at least 19 local, state, and federal tax liens since 1992. They allege failure to pay tax bills ranging from a $68 boat assessment in Placer County to more than $121,000 to the IRS. Until a month ago, she was facing two felony counts for failing to pay for a stay at an expensive Topanga Canyon bed and breakfast. She has been named in at least 26 judgments for non-payment of debts, according to court records. The Bee published a photo showing... uh, showing Carpenter back in the year 2000 out in Sutter County talking about how a $450, a $450 million spa resort studio and retail complex was going to go up north of the Arco Arena 
out in the farmland there, which just never materialized. But in reference to that project, the Bee notes that the, uh, the proposed size and scope of it attracted some of the region's most prominent players, including developers Angelo Sakopoulos and Stefan Monolakis. Both developers filed applications to rezone part of their Carson Creek development near El Dorado Hills to accommodate the studio. Sakopoulos, notes the article, one of the region's most influential developers, said in a recent interview that he was impressed with Carpenter and the people with whom she was associated. He explained that the 1997 project died because we could not get the county of El Dorado to move fast enough to satisfy them and give us or guarantee us enough water. Sakopoulos said she is very legitimate. At that time, she had George Lucas looking at properties that we have south of Folsom, some of it in Sacramento County and some of it in El Dorado County. As I understand it, said Sakopoulos, I was not there, but she told me that George Lucas came two times by helicopter from his home in San Rafael. Noted the B, Lucas was unavailable for comment, but a spokeswoman told the B in an emailed response that the company had no knowledge of a project in El Dorado County, nor in Dixon. Yeah, article also quotes Jim Lindley, Dixon City Manager, saying, a huge amount of people are very excited about having Nicole Kidman and Robert De Niro running around town. Well, this is nothing of George Lucas choppering in, which she allegedly does, at least according to Carissa Carpenter. Carpenter did speak to the Bee and said she was unaware of liens filed against her, but if they do exist, they're likely the fault of her ex-husband. And in a rather curious sidebar to this article, which is rather extensive, um, they note that Carissa Carpenter said she took care of her grandmother for years here in Sacramento, but court and law enforcement records paint a rather more complex picture, such as the fact that back in 2004 she was interviewed by a Sacramento County Sheriff's detective who was investigating allegations that Carpenter had taken $34,000 from her grandmother's bank account for personal expenses. At that time, notes the paper, her 89-year-old grandmother was in a $3,000 a month assisted living facility and that the payments for her rent and oxygen tanks had stopped coming, according to court records. A crime report states that Carpenter said she had no money to pay her grandmother's bills, nor the medical bills that Carpenter herself said she had incurred in Europe for an experimental pacemaker program for her recurring heart problems. We're going to see if we can't continue to follow this story. And you can bet we're going to keep our eyes peeled for any paparazzi photos of either Nicole Kidman or Robert De Niro in Dixon. All right, then there's two segues that need to come out of this story that mentions Angelo Sakopoulos. One is what he's about to do in his proposed McKinley Village development, which pretty much threatens to trash my neighborhood. But I think we'll save that for next week's program. Instead, let's talk about movies getting made in Northern California, or at least movies that were made in Northern California some time back. And we'll do that in our third segment because we need to take a break. Let's do that. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We've got plenty more. Stick around. <laughs> 